All right, and as I stated at the beginning of this study, is that uh, the introduction to this cumulative sermon begins with what we know as the Beatitudes. And as I brought out a couple of times, Beatitudes are like a staircase, helping us along our, in our ascent in our Christian walk to make us more like Jesus. That's God's goal for us, to make us more like Christ. Amen? And as Jesus comes to the end of his introduction, much of his teaching seems like he's going against the law, but he adamantly states that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And fulfill it he did. He was perfectly sinless, perfectly kept the moral law of God, so he perfectly fulfilled the law in his life. And not only that, if you look at the prophetic messages about his first coming, he perfectly fulfilled that. He came, right, sinless, went to the cross, died for us, rose, ascended, etc. So he completed all those things that are in prophecy. All right, so when we get to this, though, we've got to understand. So there's a little challenge there saying, look, he's really teaching against the law, but he's not, not at all. He's actually teaching to the heart of the law. What the Lord did is he refuted the hypocritical religious regulations imposed on the people by the scribes and the Pharisees that were based really on rabbinical traditions and the traditions of men. Men interpreted these things, put them together, and said, no, this is how you should walk. This is how we should go. And they added law upon law, law upon law, and I'll speak to that in a little bit. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes because they were living this legalistic life thinking this was going to lead them to God and it wasn't because they were following this letter and they didn't understand the heart of the law that God gave them. So now Jesus is actually going to segue into that and teach us how to live in the heart of the law and not just the letter of the law. And it's not being taught to us by traditions of men and elders this is going to be taught by the Son of God himself. He's going to interpret it. Amen? And nobody better because guess who inscribed those laws to begin with? God himself. All right, so what Jesus begins with is six antithetical statements that will counter the legal regulations that were imposed um, by the religious leaders during that time by explaining what was meant in the heart of the law and not just in the commandment itself. And so now Jesus clarified these things. But again, it won't be based on traditions. It will be based on the heart of God who is going to explain it to the people around him. And as we progress in looking at Jesus' teaching in this portion of Scripture, he makes statements. You have heard it said, but now I tell you. And the first thing we have to understand, again, he's not nullifying the law or abolishing it. What Jesus is doing is explaining the inspiration of truth behind the command itself. And we must understand that those who followed Jesus, the disciples, they didn't study the Old Testament in detail. They relied on the Pharisees and scribes and their interpretations. So now he's taking these disciples and saying, whoa, back up the truck. Now I'm going to teach you what the, what's in the heart of the law, what the law really means. Again, the teachings of men were misguided. They were tainted. And they were based on interpretation. And they had a misunderstanding of the law. So here comes the fulfillment of the law to explain it themselves. And just a, a quick example. In John chapter 9, when Jesus heals the blind man, let me just give you a background on some of these things that were written down. He heals the blind man, and he spits in the mud, and makes, uh, spits in the dirt, makes a little mud, and rubs it on his eyes. Well, as I'm, I was studying, you could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit in the dirt, because the dirt could make mud, and the mud could be used for mortar, and that's work. So these are the kinds of things, laws that were set in place, law upon law and all these strange regulations. And this is what the Pharisees and scribes were imparting on the people. And that's why Jesus said to them, you put a heavy load on people's backs that you can't even carry. So these are the kinds of things behind what Jesus is talking about. So what we'll see is that Jesus' teachings on the law and commandments will exceed the literal demands of the law. And why? They will transcend it. They will transcend it by insisting that sinful attitudes, sinful attitudes of the heart should be avoided as well as the action itself. He's going to talk to the heart of man because that's where God speaks to us. Amen? By doing this, the Lord is teaching us that our behaviors and lifestyles, our interactions and reactions, our attitudes, motives, actions should be guided by Christ-like character and not just by the command itself by Christ-like character. And why? Because we may not do the outward act, but inside, in our hearts and minds, we are committing them. Do you hear me? 
So we may not go out and murder somebody, but in our hearts we can harbor such an anger and a festering anger that it's like murder in the eyes of God. So with all that said, let's look at these antithetical statements made by Jesus. Please open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. And this is where really the true teaching of the Sermon on the Mount begins, and it ends in uh, chapter 7. Jesus said, here it goes, You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother, and you say, okay, what does that mean? Who is your neighbor? If we are all in Adam and Eve, then we're all brothers and sisters in the human race, right? So he's saying if you're angry with anybody, if you will, we'll be subject to the judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together or on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So let's begin. In this section of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to murder, but really to a, a deeper thing, anger. And let's get a definition of murder. It's the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. This is one, listen, looks to take a life out of vengeance, vindictiveness, or a misdirected passion that stirs up such an anger in us that it can manifest itself in the action of actually taking someone's life or doing something to destroy that other human being, okay? And this is what the Lord is talking to. And please understand, in the original language, it's thou shall not murder, not thou shall not kill. Do you hear me? And that's very important because he's talking about a vindictive reaction where you lash out. It's an offense against you and you lash out to take another's life. Alrighty? Because even in the Old Testament, such things as capital punishment, just war, and the killing of animals was allowed. And people will pervert this by saying, thou shalt not kill, to say, oh, you should have no capital punishment, no war is just, or that you can't even take the life of an animal. Sorry, vegans, you can. Read the scriptures. All righty? I'm just kidding. All right. And this differentiation is so important. And let me, let me just give an example of why. When we did the reboot uh, curriculum with the vets, and I, went, I did the differentiation between murder and killing. Remember, these guys were in Vietnam. They saw things and did things that most human beings should not see or should not do. All righty? That's counter to what we were created for. But one guy, I saw a couple of guys' eyes fill up. This one guy, Lou, he goes, I've finally been set free after all this time because he carried such a guilt that he felt he was committing murder while he was in war. And I said, no, Lou. You were called by your government. You obeyed and went, and you did things that were quote to him, even though it may not be justified from the government level, in the soldier's eyes. So he felt free. So there is a difference. Do you understand? There is a difference. So with that said, the Lord now quotes, he's going to refer to quotes in Exodus 20.13 and Deuteronomy 5.17. He states this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to the judgment. And in the context of the Old Testament, we have to understand that if you intentionally killed another person, you would either go to the court or before the Sanhedrin, and you were convicted of capital, a capital crime, and there was capital punishment. You would be stoned to death, all right? So even in the Old Testament, right, um, murder is prohibited, if you will. And it's within this framework that we must understand that the scribes and Pharisees didn't concern themselves with the thing leading up to the action. They let it fall short as long as it didn't result in murder itself. They only dealt with this. They didn't deal with what happened beforehand, the heart issue or the conflict between individuals. So they only brought it to the court if someone was actually murdered. And here is now where Jesus is going to correct and expand on this misinterpretation because it goes much deeper than the action church. It goes to the attitude behind it. And so the Lord goes on in verse 22 and he states this, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother is subject to the judgment. 
Because that's where it really lies, in the heart, angry in the heart. And what Jesus is showing here, it's the commandment not only prohibited or prohibits the murderous action, but it also prohibits the attitude that is the impetus behind the action. That's where it goes, to the heart. And the word anger here in the original Greek is orgizo, which speaks to an intense anger, an enraged anger. And it's only used in Scripture when it's going to lead to some vindictive action or behavior. So he's saying this orgizo, this can't happen. It uh, just doesn't refer to a situation like, oh, I dropped the glass and broke it and I went, ah. That, it's not that kind of anger. It's a deep-rooted, vindictive anger that can be shown in human beings. And some of us have been there. Yes? All right. For those who haven't, the altar's open. All right. And listen, there's also another kind of anger, and it's called thumos. It's an anger that comes upon us initially when you are angry over a situation, okay? But if we allow that thumos to fester and start to perseverate or entertain it, it can lead to that action or orgizo where it becomes vindictive or vengeful. And this is what the Lord's speaking to. And a good example to understand these meanings uh, are Cain, and we're going to look at David. So if, you, if you'd like, open up to Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Cain is a very good example of this. Genesis 4, chapter 2, and we're going to read to verse 7. A lot of scripture today. Is that okay? Thank you. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, obviously that's Eve. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of his first fruits of his soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was what? Very angry and his face downcast. But look, look, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And we know what happens. Cain doesn't deal with it. Instead, he gets angry. He's angry at God. And in response to his anger towards God, he gets angry with his brother. And what does he do? He acts on that thumos, that festering anger, and goes and orgizos. He kills his brother Abel. Yes? He had a chance. He stood at the crossroads of choice and gave into his flesh when God had given him a way out. Do what is right. But he gave into his flesh and he kills his brother. So we see both of these types of anger in action. The festering anger leading to the action. Now let's look at the flip side. Not a great or perfect example, but one that kind of gives you the gist of the difference here. And it's in um, 1 Samuel 25 when David is on the run from Saul. And he's kind of protecting the fields of a man named Nabal. And after he's protecting the herds and flocks, he sends a couple of his guys down to Nabal and says, Hey, do you mind giving us in a couple of sheep or goats or something, provisions for the men while we're out here? And Nabal sends back an insulting message to David. Whoa. Now David, a man of war, that thumos begins to fester. Oh, man, how could he insult me like that? And guys, that's where the problem lies. He got insulted. He let his pride get hurt. His self-centered pride was hurt, and now he's going to react upon that, all right? Remember, before God, we have no rights. All right, so he, he, he gets that anger going. And all of a sudden, he starts riding down. He's going to kill Nabal and every male in his family. Thank God. Abigail comes, Nabal's wife, and intercedes and says, Don't do this, because then you'll have innocent blood on your hands. And David listens to her, and he doesn't give in to the orgizo. He doesn't go and commit the act. All righty? And uh, I lost my place, but that's okay. All right. David. Got it. Okay. So we can learn much here, all righty, in the background where David doesn't give in to that anger and he doesn't go and commit the act. So we have to see that in both circumstances, both circumstances, both men faced real-life situations that can light the egocentric spark of anger. Both of them gave in to their thumos. They both fested the anger, but only Cain went and actually killed his brother Abel. But listen carefully. In the eyes of God, 
Both of these are murder. The festering, vindictive anger in our hearts and the action itself. In the eyes of God, a murder. And church, it's both these terms, thumos and orgizo, that Jesus is referring to in his teaching. And it's both of these that we have to be aware of, that we must not entertain or act upon. And we can do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we really look into God's word, and as we get into the rest of the sermon here, we must go in the spirit of Christ, that spirit of forgiveness. Amen? And listen carefully. What we have to understand is that not all anger is sin. Do you hear me? Not all anger is sin. Even Jesus got angry with situations, but there is a righteous anger that we as Christians can show. We need to take, and we need to take a stand on certain things. But when we do, we need to do it in a biblical manner, with biblical speech, if you will, with the right attitude and the heart of the Savior. There's a way and there's a way. Is there not? And listen carefully. The distinguishing mark between what we can call justified anger and unjustified anger is that justified anger is never self-centered. It's not because someone's done something to me, so I'm justified in my anger. No. Justified anger is purposeful, purposeful over injustices or defense of um, God's principles, God's word, his character, or an injustice done to another human being. Do you hear me? It's justified anger is never self-centered anger that shows itself because we have been offended. All right? All right. So, and the greatest example of this is seen in, in John 2, verses 13 to 22. What does Jesus do? He sees the atrocities in the temple. This was supposed to be a holy time of the year, the Passover. And here are all these money changes. And if you study it, what they were doing in their own greed is taking Roman coins and exchanging them for temple coins, which is what you needed to get in to pay the temple tax. But they overcharged the Roman coins, which could be used out in public to buy all kinds of stuff, right? And the Pharisees were getting a kickback. So here Jesus walks into the temple and he hears the chingling of change, all these animals lowing and everything. And what does he do? He doesn't flip out uncontrolled. He goes back. He braids a cord of weeds. He got the weeds out of the ground. And he goes back and he overturns the money table. And he tells them, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers and thieves. And it should be a house of prayer. But not a man nor an animal was hurt in the action. He was controlled. He was purposeful. It was a righteous anger over his father's house. Amen? And listen, this is how we should be as his disciples. Not only in actions, but in words and attitude also. Do you hear me? We may not do the action, but we have to check our attitudes and the words behind when we speak. And so now Jesus goes on in verse 22 and he says this. Anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And there's an old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's hogwash, people. Hogwash. Words hurt. Words penetrate deeply and can leave lasting scars. So we have to guard our words, yes? And listen, words confirm the attitudes of our heart. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we talk, and we can say, oh, I didn't really mean that. Well, it's coming out of here. So I would venture to say, yes, you did, because out of the heart, the mouth speaks, yes? And family words can be very, very destructive. They can dismantle somebody emotionally, scar them permanently. They can damage relationships. They can destroy a person's reputation, impact the person into either striving forward or thrown in the towel because they have been kicked down by someone. Amen? Some here have experienced the wounds of words and continue to carry the unseen scars. We hide it well, but some of us have been scarred by the words that some people have said to us. Listen to the words used here that Jesus talks to. The term raka can mean such things as imbecile or blockhead. And the term fear, uh, fool, is even so much more severe in that it goes to the core of a person's character by insinuating, ready, that they are morally depraved, morally deficient, void of any value or worth. Basically, they're saying to a person, when you call them a fool, you're worthless. So Jesus is saying, unacceptable. 
And by saying a term of fool, listen to this carefully. Do we not stand in the place of God by standing in judgment of another human being of whom we are or were of the same nature, but only by the grace of God have we been delivered? We were all morally deficient. We were all enemies of God, going our own way, doing our own thing. And by the grace of God, he saved us. And we're born again. So who are we to say to somebody else, you're a fool, you're morally deficient. We were there at one time. Instead, we should be looking to build that relationship to save them from their sins so that they can put their faith in Christ and have eternal life. Amen? By using a term like fool, we're in essence condemning the person's being. And we have no right to do that. We have no right to stand in judgment of anybody because there's only one judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we see this progression of judgment on anger in the Lord's eyes. And at the heart of the commandment, there's a harboring, festering anger in the heart of someone. And it's the same as murder. So we really need, as the body of Christ, to look at this. And when those situations come, not to harbor that bitterness or anger that can root itself. Because in the Lord's eyes, it's just as guilty as if you went out and did an act itself. So we, this is a teaching tool, church. And trust me, I have to deal with it first. All right? You know what I mean? So it, it pierced my heart, too. This kind of anger, it's dangerous. It can become uncontrolled and give birth to murder in the mind where you kind of mull it over and mull it over or in the actual action. Do you think the murders out there just take place? Most of them are between personal relationships because somebody ticked somebody else off and they killed them. I mean, let's plain and simple. Festering anger or the action itself is subject to the judgment to one degree or another, whether it be in the court, before the Sanhedrin, or if it gets really being cast into the fires of hell. That's scary, right? And because of this ultimate judgment, if someone harbors that festering anger in their heart, one of two things. You really got to check your maturation in Christ because that shouldn't be. All right? And if that is there, then we have to work on getting rid of it. Second, you may have to check your salvation itself if you can harbor that hatred and bitterness towards another human being. And let me tell you, in the climate we live in, it's easy to get that angry. But please remember, the anger Jesus is talking about here is an anger, an an unjustified anger that comes as a result of someone doing something to you and you getting that angry where you want to harm them in your heart. It's not getting a righteous anger or a justified anger over the sun. We should be angry over things like abortion and gay marriage. But it should be a righteous anger and not an unjustified anger. Amen? Look, the growth of anger and its manifestations are dangerous and destructive. Anger broods and it harbors malice. It doesn't forget, nor does it forgive. Okay? And it wants vengeance. It shows contempt either for God or for those made in His image. When we don't forgive and we harbor that anger, we're actually showing a contempt for God and the salvation of our souls that He purchased for us. And in no way does this type of anger exemplify or glorify God or exemplify Christ-like character in our life. Does it? Does it? And this is why Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this, Do not be quick to anger, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. We're a fool if we hang on to that kind of anger. It will control us instead of us controlling it. Proverbs 10.11 tells us this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Because we bring peace. Sal, what you were talking about. We bring the gospel. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then finally, listen to James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Ten second rule. And slow to become angry. Because, ready? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When we act out, in anger of an offense against ourself, right? It's not the kind of righteousness that God desires. He wants us to be like Jesus. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And listen, there are two ways we can approach this situation. One is constructive, and one is destructive. What do I mean? Constructive deals with the situation. 
we look to come to compromise or deal with a situation. We're not focusing on the other party. We're focusing on finding a resolution to what the situation is. Okay? And um, destructive, destructive, it focuses on the person because we get angry with the person. We're not just angry over the situation. And all of a sudden, we get angry with the person, with the gossip, the malice, the thoughts, the words, stirring up dissension comes out. And that's not constructive in any way. It's destructive. And it's um, destructive, right? We're not concerned about the other party. It is not solely based, or it is solely based, I'm sorry, on getting our own way instead of really finding a compromise to the situation. And we don't care how we get our own way or what the cost is as long as we get our own way. Right? That's destructive. It focuses on the person instead of the situation. It focuses on division instead of compromise. And listen, um, we as Christians must learn to approach, approach disagreements constructively, but on some issues we need to agree to disagree. And there are some issues that we cannot compromise. We cannot compromise God's word. We cannot compromise God's character. But the way we deal with it can manifest a Christ-like attitude and a Christ-like behavior, can it not? But even in those circumstances, listen, our countenance, our attitude, and I have speech here. And let me, let me just hit on this a little bit. Including the volume at which we talk. That can show there's something going on. Your intonation or an insinuation in our speech. Speech can be very powerful. We can manipulate it to kind of let people know how we feel. How about body language and facial expressions? Yeah, I'm fine. The heck you are. That's how we approach these. Everything we do should maintain a demeanor of our faith and our relationship with Christ. How we speak. How we approach. What we are kind of trying to control ourselves so that we have the right demeanor in these situations. So what are we to do in these challenging situations? What are we to do when we find ourselves sitting in the grasp of that thumos, praying that it doesn't go to our gizo and get really angry? Yes, vindictive. When it's right around the corner. What do we do when we have either offended somebody or somebody has offended us? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Isn't that great? Let's look at verse 23 to 26 again. So when you are offering your gift on the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly. Don't let it fester. Deal with it, is what Jesus is saying. Deal with it while you are on your way to court with him, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you won't get out until you paid the last penny. Family, let's be honest. Almost all unjustified anger comes as a result of personal relationship, does it not? I could care less if the guy in the street bumps into me or does something. But when it, usually you see this. Real anger when there's a personal contact, a personal relation, whether it's somebody you work with, a family member, someone within the church, all right, which it shouldn't be. But um, it's when it's a personal situation. Most of our anger comes as a result of feeling that we have been wrong or from the resultant feeling left after wronging someone else with our words, with our attitudes, with our behaviors or actions. And this is what Jesus is talking to here in the Scriptures. And we must understand that in these verses, he's not just talking about the vertical relationship to God. And we'll see, yes, when there's something wrong, if we've done something wrong, we ask God's forgiveness. But he's really talking here in the horizontal relationships with us and other people. How do we deal when we've offended someone or someone's offended us? Alrighty? And as we'll see in context, he first speaks to a confession of sin. We go before God. We ask God to forgive us. But then we may have to go to another and say, look, please forgive me because I've sinned against you. They're seeking forgiveness and reconciliation and making restitutions to those we've offended or have offended us. And let me give you a little Bible background. Let's do a little Bible teaching here. In Old Testament times, when a person sinned, they had to take an offering and go to the priest, and he would sacrifice it on the altar, and he would be atoned for, forgiven, okay? The problem is that a person would go through the prescribed religious rituals without ever going to the offended brother never making it right with the other person. So he's just gone through some religious ritual to cleanse himself before the priest, but never made it right with the other individual. Amen? The other problem is that he could go there, 
do the offering and never have dealt with the heart issue. He could still be harboring the anger within his heart. Even though he made the sacrifice and in the eyes of the priest and the people, he was atoned for. Meanwhile, he's still harboring the anger in his heart. And I have down here the belief that an outward action meeting the spiritual need is foolishness. Because again, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It cannot be dismissed by merely some religious ritual. It's like saying, going up to somebody and saying, yeah, I'm sorry. And you don't really mean it. There's got to be a true repentance and a true desire for reconciliation and restitution. Amen? Problem is, uh, the person go through all the prescribed actions, but there's no real change of heart. Now, as we move forward, obviously today we're under the new covenant, are we not? And let's start with this. People, we're forgiven. In Christ, we are forgiven and been reconciled to God, okay? But we will sin. But here's the deal. We get the outline in 1 John 1, 9. When we do sin, we go to God, we ask forgiveness, we purpose to repent, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, right? All right? So in Christ, as Christians, we're forgiven, yes? But listen carefully. In the case where an offense has taken place, though forgiven by God, we are commanded in Scripture to go and make it right. Reconciliation and restitution. Okay? We're commanded by God to make it right. And family, let this uh, not become ritual either, where we make this, oh, you know, command of Scripture says, I'm going to go make it right. And we go to do that. Meanwhile, in our hearts, we're still like ticked off. We harbor the anger. We harbor the bitterness. Seven months later, we're still talking about it because we haven't forgiven. We haven't turned from that. It's still in our hearts. You hear me? Oh, boy, it's quiet. So listen to verse 23 and 24 again. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother has something against you, leave it there. Go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is referring to here is the sacrifices that are made in the sin offering on the Day of Atonement. It's radical what he's saying. He's saying, leave your gift here. Now, that, those ceremonies were so solemn, they're supposed to be carried through. He's saying, leave it. And it's also radical because some of those people traveled 80 miles to take them four to five days to walk back and reconcile with somebody. But he's saying that's how important it is. Go, reconcile with your brother, then come back and offer the gift and be cleansed. Because what you've done is you made it right in your heart. Now you can make it right before God. Amen? And actually, this was actually in uh, the law of Moses in Leviticus. It tells us to do this. If you want, turn to Leviticus chapter 6, 1 to 7. Let's just reinforce what Jesus is saying here. Because it was in the law. Leviticus 6, 1 to 7. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, When any of you sin and commit a trespass against the Lord. Now that would seem obvious. If I sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, I should seek forgiveness, yes? But look what it says. Whenever you sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, how? By deceiving a neighbor in a matter of a deposit or a pledge or by robbery or if you defrauded a neighbor or have found something lost and lied about it. If you swear falsely regarding any of the various things that one may do and sin thereby. When you have sinned and realized your guilt and would restore what you took, robbery or by fraud or the deposit that was committed to you or the lost thing that you found or anything else about which you have sworn falsely, you shall repay the principal amount and shall add a fifth to it. He's saying, go make it right. Go make it right. You shall pay to its owner when you realize your guilt and ready. Then bring the priest to the priest, the guilt offering, a ram without blemish and so on. The priest shall then make atonement for you. And look at the last thing. You shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do that incurs guilt. So this, when we sin against another human being, first we sin against God. You hear me? Because of the attitude, behavior, action, word, whatever it is. And he's saying, go, make it right, then come. Then come and make your offering. Because then it's real. Then it's real. Amen? All right, now family, to sum up this idea, to understand that we must go and reconcile with others in the love and the heart of our Savior, remember it's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. And when we go, we do it as unto the Lord because we represent the Lord, the same Lord who forgave 
us our sins and trespasses. And no matter what anybody does to us, it cannot compare to our sins and offenses against Him. Amen? So who are we not to exemplify our Savior in our lives? Yes? If someone has offended us, forgiveness actually becomes a way that as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, that we have a way of demonstrating Christ-like love to others. We can demonstrate, and listen, it can either bring them to an understanding of the love that God has for them initially, or it can just help their understanding as Christians and how much God loves us. If a brother or sister we've offended or they've offended us and we find forgiveness and reconciliation, it shows the true love of God in the situation. If someone on the outside, an unsaved person, does something wrong and you exemplify Christ to them in your attitude, in your speech, in behavior, even in a compromise, they see Christ's love in us. It could be the very thing that draws them to the Savior. And what's more important? Let me ask you. Which is better? To win an argument? To prove that you're right? Or to win a soul? Or build up a brother and a sister and not tear them down? Which is more important? I believe you can answer it for yourselves. And when we act like Christ to another Christian who may not be as mature, I call it the disciple effect, that when we show them through our lifestyles, our behaviors, our speech, etc., how Jesus is, a younger Christian, a less mature Christian can see that and hopefully start to learn to walk in the same way so when they're offended in life, and they will be, they'll respond and react like Jesus because they saw it in you and I. Amen? It's a teaching tool. Family, the whole point Jesus is making is that when situations arise that cause us to become angry, first we seek divine forgiveness. And as Christians, we must willing to be go and make restitution and reconciliation with others. And if we're not, we're in danger of the disciplines that he talks to in the scriptures. And look at verse 25. Look what it says. Come to terms quickly with your adversary. Go make it right. Don't harbor that anger. Well, you're on your way to court with him. Well, your adversary may hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Family, Jesus is stating, deal with it biblically. Settle it in your heart. And there's actually a couple of ramifications here. All right? And listen, there are two that we want to talk about. One's, ex- I am never going to be able to say, eschatological, in other words, end time event, and one is current or present. To the unsaved, what Jesus is speaking to here is really an allegory. He's saying this, listen, God is the one with whom you need reconciliation. Every human being needs to be reconciled to God because we've sinned against God. And if we don't, he will hand us over to the judge, his son Jesus, and the guards will be there, the angels, and we will be cast into prison, cast into hell. So if you have not made it right with Christ today, today let today be the day of salvation where you're reconciled to God. But for us as Christians... Salvation is found in Christ, and there are some consequences if we harbor anger in our hearts. Listen to some of these things. We will be disciplined by the Lord. Read Hebrews 12. When we don't follow a commandment or principles of God, He will discipline us. So if we're in a situation and we're harboring this anger, He's going to let us know about it as His children. Why? Because we represent Him. And we say we want to be molded into the image of His Son. So He's going to chastise us to do that. Yes? If you don't believe me, read Hebrews chapter 12. And our prayer life will be affected. Read different things. Husbands, if we're not treating our wives right, our prayer life will be affected. If we're harboring anger and stuff, our prayer life will be affected. Look what Psalm 24, 3 to 5 says. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And to who shall stand in this holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. So how do we do that? We follow the, pr- the principles of Scripture and don't harbor that bitterness and anger in our hearts for somebody else. Those who do not lift up their souls to what is false, do not swear deceitfully, they will receive the blessing from the Lord. God will hear our prayers if we go before him and confess and don't harbor bitterness and anger for somebody else. You have to have clean hands and a pure heart, all right? And here's one. Let's take it down to this level now. The rift with another, it becomes a consuming fire. It festers within us, and it will become the focus. It really does. Uh, and will affect everything within us. It becomes a driving force when we're angry with somebody else. We've, most of us have been there. Think about it. What do you think about? 
The person made you angry. The situation. How are you going to give him? And you get really angry and it consumes you. Consumes you. It can affect you spiritually and affect your relationship with the Lord. It can also affect you emotionally and physically. Listen to this. And will affect your relationship with others. Festering agonists and bitterness can lead to what? Depression, anxiety, crankiness, a miserable attitude and countenance. Come on now. Lapses in judgment, a depleted immune system, ulcers, high blood pressure, and so on and so forth. It won't only affect your relationship with the Lord. It'll affect you personally and the relationships you're in. That's what it does. Bottom line is we need to deal with situations that can stir up strife, devotion, or resentment. Fill in the blank by applying the biblical principles of what we talked about this morning. You go to the Lord. You ask forgiveness about your attitude, what you may have done, and you purpose to go to the other party. And if they have offended you, still to go to the other party and look for reconciliation and restitution. There are times when people won't give in, but that doesn't mean that we don't act like Christ and let it go and just go on and still be like Christ to them. Treat them with respect, etc., etc. Yes? Boy, it's quiet, Lord. All right. As Christians who have been forgiven to a degree that we can't even comprehend, we should follow the example of the Savior who was offended beyond what we com- can comprehend so that we could be forgiven, yes? And therefore, we're commanded to respond in the same way to seeking others, restitution, reconciliation, so thumos doesn't fester and it shows itself for an orgizo. And though we may not murder someone physically, we can murder their reputation, we can murder them emotionally, we can murder them with gossip and malice, Yes? We must remember that unjustified anger in the eyes of the Lord is the same as murder, which we are commanded not to commit. And if we try to use the excuse, well, we're not under the law, then please go to the New Testament and look at the Lord's two greatest commandments, to love him with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and love each other as ourselves. So if we're harboring that kind of resentment and bitterness, we're doing neither one of those. Amen? Church, born-again Christians who have been forgiven, let us face these situations like the Savior. I'm going to close with one of my favorite and most quoted scriptures. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each one of you not look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, he humbled himself and went to the cross. He gave up his rights and die for us. We are his disciples. We are called to do the same. There's no, now again, we look to compromise, to get a compromise to situations, but there's nothing in this life that can compare to the salvation we have and the hope that we have in Christ. You know, for most of us, in 50 years, it ain't gonna matter what we had, who we fought with, all that's gonna matter It's what we did, our relationship with the Lord, and how we obeyed his commands and principles and did it in his name. We're not going to remember that. Oh, I lived on 590 Winthrop Avenue. It's not going to matter, you know? And I have down here wretched sinners, and that's what we were. We have been forgiven in Christ who had every right to be angry with us. He had every right to condemn us into the eternal lake of fire, yes? But instead, he laid aside his rights. He came walked amongst us, humbled himself, took on human flesh, life of a carpenter or a mason, you know, rough hands, worked hard, three and a half year grueling ministry, and then went the way of Calvary, dealt with 12 knuckleheads. I shouldn't use that word after my sermon, but 12 men, all right? But he humbled himself. So how much more are we, yes? So as his disciples, let us have the same mindset as our Lord, and approach the offenses of life with the same mindset, attitude, humility, and demonstration of agape love verified by a spirit of forgiveness. Yes, verified. Remember, salvation is easy, is it not? He did all the work. We believe by faith. Sanctification ain't so easy. That means being molded into the image of Christ, putting to death our flesh, and walking in the spirit. So we have to crucify those natural inclinations and tendencies and give it over to the power of the Spirit. But we can.
because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength if we're willing to yield ourselves to the work of the Spirit in our lives. We can harden our hearts and when convicted not do what the Spirit tells us, but I can tell you it's going to lead to human consequences. But if we yield to the Spirit and do it God's way, we may not get exactly what we want on this side, but we're going to glorify God be an example of him to others, and we don't know how that's going to affect somebody in their walk or coming to Christ. So in our time, our willingness to forgive, we must be willing to forgive so we don't harbor an anger in our hearts towards others because thumos and orgizo are both against God. They're both considered murder in his eyes. So if you're here today, and you're in need of God's forgiveness to make it right with God, then I will pray with you after the service. But as we start to enter in and come to communion, if you need to give something to God that you've been holding on to in anger, a festering anger, give it to the Lord and be forgiven today. And then purpose to go and make it right. And it may be hard. You may have to put your tail between your legs, eat crow, whatever phrase you'd like to use but you're doing what God has called us to do. And we can if we go in the strength of the Lord. And if you need to make reconciliation or restitution, purpose today to do that. Amen? So I pray that you take this with you as we come to this table this morning. We come into the presence of God, understanding that what He did, we are forgiven from all the sins and things we've done against Him. But He's asking us to be like His Son, and to have that same spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation and restitution and not to harbor any bitterness or anger in our hearts for somebody else because nothing on this side of eternity is worth offending God or offending another. Yes? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Almighty God, that you don't just call us to follow a literal command, but you call us to look into the depth of the reason behind your laws and principles, that it's a hard issue. So as we start off in the Sermon of the Mount, Lord, and we look at this thing of murder, we see, Lord, you don't even want us to be angry in our hearts towards another. That in your eyes, this is murder, Lord. So we ask us, through the power of your blessed Spirit, Father, that you would help us in this walk, especially in the world we live in today with all the turmoil, with all the strife. Lord God, the assault against Christians, Lord God, give us that spirit of peace. Give us that spirit of forgiveness. Give us that spirit of gentleness and kindness so that we can walk like Christ. We can be like you, Lord Jesus. That when these situations arrive, these offensive situations arise, we will respond like you. We will look for compromise. We will look to do it constructively and not destructively by lashing out at someone else. Because ultimately, and first of all, it's a sin against you and it's a sin against them and it defiles your name when we act like this or speak like this or do like this. Lord, we pray for your grace. We pray for your grace in the midst of conflicts that we would be able to exemplify you, Lord. And we just thank you this morning. And again... If any are here that are in need of forgiveness, if any are here that haven't given their lives to Christ and make it right with God today, if there are any here that are harboring anger or bitterness, then come to the table today. Come to the table and purpose in your hearts to make it right and be set free because you will be set free from the thing that is holding on to you, an anger that consumes your life. It gives you, just consumes you emotionally, physically, spiritually. Give it to God and purpose to do what's right in his eyes. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you. We know that your teachings are not easy, Lord, but you have called us to be your disciples, to walk like you. Lord, help us in these areas. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Before we, uh, the worship team, and before we take the elements, I, I saw a wonderful music video that I, I thought was apropos for this morning. So I'd just like to, uh, Matt to run it and just listen to it. And if you're harboring anything, ask God to forgive you and purpose to make it right. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, let today be the day. Amen? So this is, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, I was actually working out and I started tearing up because it's such a beautiful song.